the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free, every single day, become a member of PragerTopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at PragerTopia.com. Hi, everybody. Whoa, I am really loud in my own earphones, which is of no interest to any of you except one person, and he got the message. Hi, everybody. I hope you had a good weekend. I think the story of the weekend, it is related to Roe v. Wade, but it is not the the Roe v. Wade decision as such. It is the threat by various feminists on the internet to withhold sex from their significant other, or for that matter, any insignificant other. That's a good one. You should ask that of your daughter at college. Did you ever hook up with a significant other or an insignificant other? I like that. S-O or I-O? Anyway, or even husband. Until Roe v. Wade is once again the law of the land. The reason I think it is the story of the weekend is that it reveals a great deal about an aspect of feminism. Well, more than an aspect, but in this case an aspect of the the profound irrationality at the heart of of feminist proclamations are you familiar with any threat on the part of men after all it goes back to ancient greece threatening men with deprivation of sex are you familiar in the history of the world of the earth with its intelligent population that is the homo sapien, of men ever threatening withholding sex? I'll let you think for a moment. Yeah, see, I don't think you can come up with one. And why do I raise the issue? Because we were told, and this is why this is so important, we were told for decades, I was told this in, in college and graduate school, Men and women have the same natures. They're not fundamentally different. That's the whole basis of the sexual revolution. Men can have casual sex with with great joy and pleasure, and you are no different from a man, therefore you can do it too. And indeed some can, but the vast majority of uh, women do not appreciate sex that has absolutely no potential for commitment. And it is part of the reason for the unprecedented rates of depression among college women. It's not the only reason, but it is a reason. So what happened here? One way or the other. Are women and men basically the same in their sexual and other aspects of their natures, or not? If they're basically the same, why don't men threaten withholding sex? The idea is ludicrous. It's actually funny. That That is why I find this to be so... Fascinating. You see, what the day you awaken 
to the utter and complete emotional basis of all leftism. It is not thought through, even if a brilliant person has leftist thoughts, they have not thought it through. They have only acted upon feelings and cowardice. Not always the two, but those are two bases. That is the reason for the woke corporations, cowardice. It is the attempt to buy protection, as people did with the mafia in stores in areas controlled by mafiosi. Disney thought it would buy peace. It would buy protection against leftist attacks. If they decided to drop boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, from their greetings at Disneyland and Disney World, they don't really believe there's no such thing as boys and girls. I don't know how many people believe it. Generally speaking, only the affluent and well-educated are the ones who believe that. And generally speaking, among them, overwhelmingly women. It is a very small segment of the population that believes that there's no such thing as boys and girls, that the division is somehow or other defamatory and exclusionary, who exactly is excluded. People who are neither boys nor girls, how many do you know? I am neither a boy nor a girl. And is that not in any event a social construct rather than an innate truth? So, maybe we're not the same after all. I will say this, if uh, it's hard for me to imagine, but should somebody, some male, be involved with a woman who has in fact bought this hilarious idea of depriving their significant other uh, from sex, depriving of, not from depriving their significant other of sex because of Roe v. Wade, you are a very, very lucky man if you are not married to her and this is just a significant other. You have been told in truly certain terms that you are dating an idiot. And uh, you might want to look elsewhere. You should thank her for enabling you to understand what a fool she is, what a dummy, uh, before you ever got married. Now, if, God forbid, you're married to a woman who says, I won't have sex with you because of Roe v. Wade, I, I never tell people, well, I, I can't say never, but virtually never tell people to divorce. I can only say that my heart goes out to you. But it's hard for me to believe that there is there is a couple that has a good marriage in which a woman has actually bought this line. The women who seem to be threatening it, I, I suspect, uh, are, uh, are single. Here's one, let's see, on TikTok. In case you're a man who doesn't care about Roe v. Wade, just know that if abortion gets banned, hookup culture will be absolutely decimated. What woman would have mediocre sex with a drunk rando if he could potentially father their child? That is hilarious, too. First of all, I have to say that threatening the end of hookup culture is, is not exactly, and I'm, I'm zero prudishness in my, in my existence, in my life, but it has not done well for girls. If, if women will actually take my advice that I've given all of my life and value a good marriage over a prestigious college acceptance, the country and women would be much, 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 much happier. So, wow, what a threat, a threat. By the way, what a statement about women, this TikTok thing is. The honesty coming out now is just breathtaking. What woman would have mediocre sex with a drunk rando 
if he could potentially father their child. Wow. So that's what hookup culture is? This is what women are deciding to do? Have sex with a mediocre guy who's drunk? <laughs> the truths that are coming out now are, are just revelatory, aren't they? Yeah, that's that. So that's what a lot of hookup culture is about, from the mouth of a female. Maybe she, maybe girls in college should decide if they have sex to have sex with a good guy, who potentially, potentially, doesn't have to be a guarantee or anything like that. She'll have an actual relationship with, and that the relationship might. Actually, just potentially, conceivably, lead to marriage. Think she'd be happier? That is what is known as a rhetorical question. Inflation is at a 40-year high. You know it, and you feel it every day. We're paying considerably more for gas, groceries, and really just about everything. Take charge of your money right now. Use the equity in your home to consolidate debt and lower your monthly expenses. These impressive men, Andrew and Todd, at andrewandtodd.com, know what you're going through. Andrew and Todd aren't brokers, they're bankers who handle your refi loan personally from start to finish, and they're always in your corner. Visit andrewandtodd.com to beat inflation by lowering your monthly expenses and protect your greatest asset, your home. Andrew and Todd at Sierra Pacific Mortgage share your values. I trust them. That's why I work with them. Get started now. Go to andrewandtodd.com for a quick mortgage checkup. No obligations. Use the equity in your home before it's too late. Go to andrewandtodd.com. That's andrewandtodd.com. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager here. There are other things in the news than uh, the reactions to Roe v. Wade. I have on a... Terrific physician, and the highest accolade I can give anyone. He is a man of courage, Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, Orange County, California. And we, from the beginning of the lockdowns, I have had him periodically on the show as a doctor outspoken against all the terrible things that we did to people closing schools, as an example. By the way, before I get to the subject that we we decided to speak about, vaccinating six-month-olds, do you think that the CDC or, or any of the public health authorities, or for that matter, teachers' unions, will pay a price for two years of no school? Uh, Dennis, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think that's a rhetorical question. You know they're not going to pay a price. You know, you have you have an expression, being on the left uh, means never having to apologize, and there's no price that they pay for ruining some of these institutions. So, no, I don't think they're going to pay a price. Among your patients, um, I don't know if, if your patients are, are generally side with your views of life, but among your patients, are there any who thought it was a good idea to keep their kid out of school for nearly two years? Uh, no. Um, listen, I don't talk politics in the office, but I'm certainly always willing to give my opinion if asked. And I don't know anybody in my practice that thought that was a good idea. Many of my patients are affluent, so they were able to look for alternatives, whether it be a homeschool program or a private school, et cetera, they were able to accommodate the lockdowns, but but many that aren't affluent aren't able to do that. That's exactly right. Now let's go to this uh, uh, issue of the six-month-old. First, you, you might have heard me say, and I don't know if you knew this before I said it, uh, apparently we're the only country in the world to advocate vaccinating six-month-olds against COVID. Do you know that to be true? 
I don't, but I can tell you uh, us and um, one other country, and I forget which one, are the only ones that allow pharmaceutical direct-to-consumer advertising, and I think that's part of the problem. Go ahead. Expound on that. Well, as you know, when you watch TV uh, or drive on the freeway and see billboards, uh, the government and pharmaceutical companies will advertise various products as it relates to the government. The government is now doing the bidding of the vaccine companies by pushing these vaccines, all of which, by the way, are being used under emergency use authorization. And there are rules for pushing an investigational product that the government themselves are not following. But to the point currently, and it's just, it's so mind boggling and just so disturbing to me on so many levels that the CDC and the FDA, let's break this down actually. The FDA is the organization that approves drugs and vaccines. And in this case, they've approved it all the way down to six months. The CDC is the organization that then makes the recommendation as to who should receive the product that the FDA has now approved. And they've now recommended um, infants, six months olds, receive the COVID vaccine. Now remember, the COVID vaccine is being used under emergency use authorization that requires two criteria. One, there must be a healthcare emergency. And two, there must not be alternative effective treatments for the disease that they're declaring to be emergency. So let's take the first, the emergency. There is no healthcare emergency for children and COVID-19. It's not my opinion, Dennis, it's the CDC's own data. I just went on the CDC site this morning and your listeners should do this, don't believe me. You can Google this, CDC COVID deaths by age. And as of this morning, throughout the pandemic, that's two and a half years now, there's been exactly 1,086 children, less than 18, that have died from COVID-19. And when you look at that data closely, what you'll notice is every single one of these children had pre-existing conditions, meaning they had childhood cancer, diabetes, congenital disease, et cetera. Healthy children are not at risk of COVID-19 Period. So there is no emergency. All right, hold on, hold on. Keep your keep. Don't forget the second you want to get to. Speaking to a prominent physician in in California, Dr. Jeffrey Barkey, Orange County primary care physician. We'll be back in a moment on the horror of giving a six-month-old this uh, uh, so-called vaccine. So-called because it's not a vaccine. It's it's an injection. It's an inoculation. Towels just don't seem to dry you anymore. They feel soft and lotiony in the store, but you get them home and they don't absorb. Well, Mike Lindell at My Pillow found that out around 2006, and towels changed forever. He found the best towel company right here in the USA. They have proprietary technology to create towels that feel soft but actually work, and that happens to be true. I use them. They are all made with USA cotton, and they come with the MyPillow 60-day money-back guarantee. Six-piece set, two bath, two hand towels, two washcloths. Regularly $109.99, now $39.99. Just go to MyPillow.com and click on the new radio listener specials and get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the towels, by entering the promo code Prager or call 800-761-6302 for these great radio specials. MyPillow.com, promo code Prager. Hi, everybody. Dr. Jeffrey Barkey. I know personally one of the most highly regarded physicians that I know of. Primary care physician, Orange County, California. And he has courage, which is rare in any profession. It's as rare among doctors as it is among NFL players. So uh, you were telling me, I was asking you about the notion of vaccinating six-month-olds, which I, I believe borders the criminal. And you don't even have to react to that. I just want my audience to know I'm perfectly okay with being quoted. I think it borders the criminal. So you you said that there were two reasons that you were uh, 
you, you thought this is awful and aren't likely to continue. So it's not that there's two reasons. It's that in order to have emergency use authorization, there has to be an emergency. There isn't. The CDC's own data shows that the risk of death in somebody less than 18 from COVID is 0.001%. Where's the emergency? Uh, researchers out of John Hopkins looked at data less than 18 of folks that had COVID, uh, 48,000 patients. They concluded uh, there is a 0% rate of mortality. Well, children simply do not die from COVID. The second is there has to be no alternative effective treatment. And you and I both know that we can treat COVID, especially when we can treat early. And Dennis, listen, even if you take the so-called controversial drugs off the table, they shouldn't be controversial, but even if you took hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin off the table, we still have wonderful sequenced multi-drug treatment protocols that flat out work. So there is no emergency. We have alternative treatment. There should, under no circumstances, be an authorization under emergency use authorization to allow a six-month-old to be vaccinated against COVID-19. It makes no sense. And, and here's the truth that they also don't want to tell you. The CDC told us recently that up to 75% of, of kids less than 18 have already recovered from COVID and they have strong, robust, long-lasting immunity, making it even more preposterous that we should be vaccinating kids that have recovered from COVID. So on so many levels, I hope the parents have the courage to say no thank you to a COVID vaccine for their children. No kidding. So I opened this up by saying that to the best of my knowledge, only the United States of America is advocating that children that young be vaccinated. And then you responded that it's related to the fact that only the United States, and I don't know if there was a second country, that only the U.S. has advertising directly by drug companies. What I didn't follow was, you said, and therefore the government benefits from that. How does the government benefit from drug advertising? Uh, well, listen, many at the NIH are allowed to receive um, commissions, if you will, from the pharmaceutical companies that they oversee. So when these drugs do well financially, uh, members of the NIH are allowed to benefit from those residual payments as a result of authorizing these drugs. So there's a very perverse conflict of interest in our three-letter agencies, CDC, uh, FDA, and NIH. And this notion of authorizing emergency use authorization down to six months, in part, it makes me sad because what little credibility the CDC and the FDA have is even further eroded now by this crazy authorization of, of allowing our children to be vaccinated. In my opinion, the vaccines for little kids are more risky than they are benefit beneficial. And these trials, the, the trials that brought these vaccines forward to children were done before the onset of Omicron and their variants. So we don't even know if they're gonna be effective. And we've already seen the vaccines in adults do not prevent infection. They do not prevent transmission. Some of the sickest patients that I have that I'm treating for COVID are those that are fully vaccinated and fully boosted. The ones that haven't been vaccinated seem to recover much quicker because their immune systems are intact and haven't been affected by these vaccinations. Let me put you on the spot here and, and you'll do with it what you want. Aside from its in, ineffectiveness, are you prepared in any way to say it might be dangerous to give a six-month-old this vaccine? Well, that's the other part of it, Dennis, is with any medical procedure or intervention, we always have to ask the question, what are the benefits, what are the risks, and what are the alternatives? Um, all they're doing is pushing prospective benefits. They don't talk about the risk, they don't talk about alternatives. And we know from the VAERS system, there's been something like 16,000 deaths associated with this vaccine and hundreds of thousands of injuries. So yes, I think the risk far outweighs the benefit in vaccinating somebody who is less than 18 years old. Uh, and I am prepared absolutely to say that because I've seen the injuries. 
I've seen the vaccine injuries in my patients, and they can be quite devastating. Let me end with this. I'm uh, I'm curious. Do, do you know if pediatricians are recommending to parents that their six-month-old be vaccinated? I have patients coming into my practice because they're being pushed by their local pediatricians to get vaccinated, and they don't want to get vaccinated. I know of a local pediatrician that refuses to see patients if they're not vaccinated against COVID-19. There's a family doc that I know that we went to medical school together and we've been friends and we're aligned politically on everything, but not this. I've had several of his patients come to my practice because he's pushing the vaccine uh, on these patients and making them feel bad if they refuse or just completely want to opt out of the COVID-19 vaccination. That's really depressing. You went to medical school with him, you're aligned politically, and he's pushing his patients to have their six-month-olds vaccinated. (laughs) And disparaging me because I have a difference of opinion. Dennis, it makes no sense to me to vaccinate a child against an illness that they're not at risk using an investigational product that has no long-term safety studies. It doesn't make sense. I hope your listeners that are parents... How, how, do, how, how do people contact you? Um, rxforliberty.com, rx4forliberty.com. They can uh, email me right. through that site. Great. Uh, my book is available there as well. Yes, which I wrote the preface to, Dr. Jeffrey Parkey. The American public is getting pinched right now. Terrible leftist policies like shutting down the Keystone Pipeline have you paying way more than you should for gas, which also raises the cost of your grocery bills. Hard to depend on government, but you can depend on Pure Talk. Because Pure Talk gives you four lines of talk, text, and data for just $64 a month. Four lines. It's only $16 a line. Believe it. Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year. I'm a customer, the 5G coverage, most reliable network in America. U.S. customer service, keeping jobs right here in America, and the CEO is a U.S. veteran. Stop giving your money to Verizon, AT&T, and T-Mobile and supporting their causes. Switch to Pure Talk, just dial pound 250 and say Dennis Prager, and get four lines for just $64 a month. And with Pure Talk's no-risk money-back guarantee, you won't regret this. Dial pound 250 and say Dennis Prager. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Dennis Prager Show. I hope you had a good weekend. Amazing the number of young women who are threatening the end of the hookup culture because of Roe v. Wade, which gives you an idea of a rare, rare moment, or not an idea, an insight into a rare moment of honesty with regard to male and female sexual natures, how different they are. Since about 75% of men only care about sex and money, I hope they know this Roe v. Wade decision could destroy hookup culture. Well, there's one. They're all over the place. Because you're a man who doesn't care about Roe v. Wade is another young woman. Just know that if abortion gets banned, hookup culture will be absolutely decimated. What woman would have mediocre sex with a drunk rando? What is a rando? A random guy? Sean, what's rando? Rando is short for random. That's what I thought. Random, right. Okay. With a drunk rando if he could potentially father their child. So these admissions by all these young women that the hookup culture benefits men far more than women. Wow. Gee, those of us who actually uh, believe in truth have been saying that for the entire time. And that has nothing to do even with morality or God or religion. It has to do with facts facts are the enemy of the left. They claim that the uh, that Trump lies and lies and lies. It's it's a gigantic smokescreen for all of leftism, not liberalism. Liberals just vote for the left. They enable the left, but they're not leftists. But the left is built on lies. Men and women have the same sexual nature. I was taught that in, at college in the, in the 1970s. 
That was one of the openings to my realization that the college is a stupid place. Anybody who could say men and women are basically the same is a fool. I was being taught by fools. That was at Columbia. Named after Columbus. But they don't have the guts to drop their name because it would kill funding. Yes, they want indigenous peoples. They, they want the country to drop Columbus Day, but they won't drop their name, Columbia. Anyway, this is the, this is the lie now revealed. Young women are acknowledging, yeah, this way more benefits guys who want to use our bodies than it does us. Drunk rando guys. Oh, really? You were having fun sleeping with drunk random guys? That's 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 a blast. That must be great. No wonder there's so many young women in depression. The truth that has come out here is phenomenal, but nobody's noting this unfortunately. Or not nobody. I'm sure somebody else has. Few people are noting it. Girls have been lied to since the feminist movement began. You'll get more joy from career than from marriage to a decent man and a family. Was the biggest lie of all. So they didn't seek to get married. And they get drunk random guys in bed. That's got to be a real thrill for a girl. Yeah. Just what female nature yearns for. A random drunk guy in bed. Talking about young women, I would say among the most intelligent observations that I have heard on the whole issue was offered by a young woman. Texas Tweet... Excuse me, not Tweet. Texas Tweetheart. Not familiar with her. This was found for me by my um, resident significant other. And uh, is that is that her name, Michelle Christie? Yeah, Michelle Christie. Listen to her. It's 54 seconds. You know who the left should blame for the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Not the Supreme Court, not Christians, not conservatives, not Republicans, not pro-lifers. The only ones they should be blaming are themselves. It is... their fault, Roe got overturned. A lot of people, myself included at one point in time, could sympathize with the scared teenager, with the drug addict who had no business bringing a baby into this world. We could understand that we didn't like it, we didn't agree with it, but we could at least understand it. We went from safe, legal, and rare to up to the moment of birth. We gave you an inch and you took a mile. We drew the line. When you decided that you should be able to murder a fully formed infant up to the moment it exits your body, you have no one to blame but yourselves. Wow. That's right. Please understand that is always the case with the left. Always. These are, these are nihilists. Leftism is nihilism. It is a 100% expression of nihilism. The belief in nothing. So therefore, there will always be more. Oh, think about the poor girl who X, Y, or Z. A lot of people sympathized and understood. Correct. And now, till the most viable child, perfectly formed, perfectly capable of living outside the woman's body, the mother's body, and we should be able, just because we want to, kill it. That's what an abortion is. It's amazing the word abortion is used. It's kill the baby. Certainly at the later stage, there is no other way of describing what happens. It's a moral problem. But anyway, give us an inch. We give you an inch, you take a mile. That is the definition. That is why I spoke out, when I spoke out against same-sex marriage, I said, this is a 
an inevitable, inevitable slippery slope. Because the argument, the chief argument for same-sex marriage, for changing the definition of marriage for the first time in the history of, of the world, certainly of the Western world, and probably just about anywhere else, was gender doesn't matter, right? That was the argument. Love matters, not gender. And I said, if gender doesn't matter... We are on a slippery slope to the end of all distinctions between men and women, and that that is why you now have men, biological men, in women's prisons where they then proceed to have sex with them. That is why you have biological men competing in women's sports. That is why you have children told that they are really not boys or girls, they shouldn't look Down below their belt, as it were, that will not tell them what they are. They will determine what they are, and they might be neither. All because of the statement, in defense of same-sex marriage, gender doesn't marriage. Gender doesn't, excuse me, matter. That That was a defining element. I know, and I am very close to a number of married same-sex couples. I love them, and I mean that. And I love their children. My, my wife and I are godparents to such a couple. But my argument was right. You can't say gender doesn't matter and just stop at same-sex marriage. And the same thing here. Oh, the poor girl, first trimester, is now kill it when it's viable in the ninth month, is fine. Texas Tweetheart said a lot of truth. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. The the woman who made that tweet was apparently not the name I gave you. That was the woman who tweeted this, I believe. The woman who said that very intelligent, Thing Michelle Rhodes is her name. Took a little research to find that out. Yes. A lot there's a lot of clarity going on about the left. If you're a liberal and you vote for the left, shame on you. There I have now I have concluded that the vast majority of liberals will vote left no matter what position the left takes on anything, anything, on America, on Israel, on abortion, uh, on teaching kids that they're not boys or girls. There is, I can, I am now convinced there is literally nothing, no matter how evil and destructive that the left can advocate, that would have a significant number of liberals vote Republican. That is how profound the brainwash. There is only one possible explanation. I'm speaking about some people I love. They have been brainwashed to believe the right is the enemy. That's all they know. Literally all they know. So there is nothing. The left knows it is not possible to alienate a liberal. Free speech doesn't mean crap to liberals. Uh, Racial integration doesn't mean a damn thing. Nothing, nothing. Jewish liberals will vote will vote for the left no matter how anti-Israel the left is. There is nothing sacred except anti-Republican, anti-right. That is, that is the one sacred value that liberals continue to hold. Every other value is jettisoned in the name of of not voting Republican. Whenever I discuss this with liberals and I raise this issue, they go, oh, first, Dennis, frankly, I never heard about that. As I wrote in the column, uh, I don't know, half a year ago, I bet 90% of liberals never heard uh, of Leah Thomas. Who? What? Huh? What? The transgender swimmer who won uh, all the awards and first place competitions 
in swimming for the University of Pennsylvania women's team. They don't they don't know because they they read the New York Times and they and they read and they listen to CNN and NPR. So they don't know. That's one reason. And then you tell them, oh, oh God, Dennis, the Dennis, look, I, truth is, I never heard about that. There's an all-black graduation exercise at Columbia University. I didn't know that. There's an all-black dorm at Columbia University. I didn't know that. Kids are afraid on, on virtually every campus in this country to say anything but a left-wing idea in, in a paper that they write. Oh, come on. That's an exaggeration, Dennis. There are more race hoaxes on campuses than than racist incidents on campus. Oh, I didn't know that, Dennis. I don't know. You sure? I, mean, I don't know. Where you get? Where do you get these uh, ideas from? So they're either in denial or think it's a small group of people, and it's irrelevant. Ask liberal liberal. Do you support AOC? No, 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 no. Come on, she's 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 way out there. Okay, but you vote for her party, right? Well, yeah, but look at all the right-wingers who are way out there. And that's it. That ends the issue. They have an answer. Really? Who, who, what right-winger with influence in Congress has the, is as far right as AOC is far left? What does it constitute to be far right? Anyway, this Michelle Rhodes hit it on the nose. I, I thought... Pro-choice was about the poor, the poor drug addict who got pregnant and uh, wants to have an abortion in the first trimester. Not the woman who decides to have an abortion when the kid is perfectly viable in the seventh month. Didn't expect that. People didn't expect when they voted for same-sex marriage that it would end up within a few years being that five-year-old's we're uh, we're told that uh, sex doesn't exist. They they make up their minds. Yeah, I knew it, and I didn't think it took a particularly uh, insightful take in order to know it. If you say gender doesn't matter, you're uh, you're really screwing with the bases of civilization, right? Love matters. Only love matters. Okay? Only love matters. It's not true. There are many values in life. That was a good one. How much time do we have in this uh, segment? Why don't we play the, uh, this, this uh, hilarity from MSNBC? This is their uh, legal column, legal whatever she is. No, no, CNN legal an- analyst. That's it. On CNN, Jennifer Rogers. It's listen. It's a heartbreaking betrayal of, of half of the country. Sorry, I'm getting you know watching the women there. It's emotional. Um, it's a real problem. People, people are talking about privacy issues. You know, can can states who are trying to criminalize abortion, not just of the women getting them, but of doctors providing them, of people driving them to the clinic. Are they going to be able to search your apps? You know, there's apps that that track menstrual cycles. You know, how far are these states going to try to go in criminalizing every single aspect of women trying to control their reproductive rights? And and that's where it gets scary because we don't know what states are going to try to do. And as Jeff says, it's going to be a patchwork and it's going to lead to Laws where they try to really invade people's privacy in unprecedented right. ways. Right, track and their the- menstrual cycles. Did you hear that? This is their legal analyst on the uh, the network for fools. Yep, this is the next step, folks. Yep, track women's menstrual cycles. Back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Welcome to or back to the Dennis Prager Show. I read a piece in the great, truly great, probably along the Claremont Review of Books, the most important journal, and there are many wonderful journals, I want to make that clear, but the City Journal is primus inter pares, first among equals. 
and a man named Lior Sapir, who was with the Manhattan Institute, which publishes the City Journal, wrote a piece last week, which I found simply brilliant. I don't use the term often. And I will let him share his uh, thesis with you for reasons that may emanate from masochism. He lives in Massachusetts. Is that... uh, was that a fair analysis of why you live in Massachusetts? <laughs> it is, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, fine. Um, do you know, by the way, this this is just fun to tell you. I travel every week. I, I'm, I'm Tomorrow I'll be in Tennessee. I'm, I'm located in Cal- virtually every week of the year uh, to give lectures somewhere. And there is no airport that some people do not come over to me and ask for a selfie with me. There is one exception in the country, Logan Airport in Boston. I could have walked around in a Speedo and no one would have known who I was. <laughs> Actually, if you had walked around in a Speedo, you probably would have gotten some selfies. Aha, uh-huh, that's a very good point. Yes. All right, that's fair. That, it shows you have a first-class mind to have made that observation. Tell us your thesis. Sure, sure. So first of all, thanks for having me on the show. Um, My thesis is rather simple. Um, It's that there are two prongs of what we nowadays call wokeness, especially as it appears in the school system, in the K-12 school system. One is the critical race theory component, um, and the other is what uh, uh, has become known as gender ideology. Um, And so what I try to do in this piece is to show that these are actually um, deeply connected one to the other. Um, And and I try to show it more from the perspective of uh, the gender piece. Um, And what I show, and this is based on, you know, um, extensive interviews with parents and parent group leaders, uh, most of them in California, although some of them in other states, is that this uh, phenomenon of teenagers and in particular teenage girls coming out as uh, trans or in some cases queer or non-binary, all of these kind of uh, new sexual identity labels, um, that it actually has a lot to do with messaging that they hear and absorb surrounding race. And, you know, when, when I tell you my argument, you're going to probably say, oh, OK, well, that makes perfect sense. But, you know, it, it, it's the kind of thing that you really have to dig deep and look into what's going on on the ground in order to, to see clearly and that is that these are young teenagers, very impressionable. Most of them are highly intelligent, uh, a little bit socially awkward. Um, you know, this stuff is going around our, uh, right around the time of puberty when they're acutely attuned to their social status and um, how others in their environment judge them and view them. Um, and these teenagers are absorbing all of this messaging uh, about uh, race, about how horrible it is to be white about how they are oppressors by virtue of being white and there's nothing they can do about it. Um, A lot of this messaging comes from and is institutionalized by California's ethnic studies uh, uh, curriculum. Uh, Other states have the same curriculum, so I think we can safely assume that a lot of this is going on elsewhere, but California seems to be unique in just its progressive politics. So these kids are absorbing all of this messaging about how awful, awful it is to be white But at the same time, the school is uh, throwing them a lifeline because it's telling them that um, for people who identify as LGBTQ plus, you know, whatever other um, letters you want to add in there, let's just call it the Rainbow Coalition. For those who belong to the Rainbow Coalition, in some sense, they also are oppressed. They're victims of perhaps different social systems, but they're victims nevertheless. And so in a progressive place like California, of course, the more victim points that you have, the higher your status on the social hierarchy. And these kids are, as I said, very intelligent and they quickly understand that. Um, and, um, and because, you know, one of the things that I point out in my piece is that there's kind of the, the mainstream understanding of gay rights is that one is simply born that way. Right. Um, nobody chooses to be gay or lesbian. It's just kind of an innate property of persons that you're either born with or you're not. Um, But that's not the case with trans and queer. Um, 
with those two categories, well, I should say with trans, there's an open debate among researchers as to to what extent it can be attributed to biological causes. But the vast, vast majority of these teenagers uh, who are coming out as trans um, are not born with some, you know, neurological um, abnormality or anything like that. Um, they are responding to social cues, to social incentives, and they correctly perceive that if they self-identify as queer or trans, um, they can, if not opt out of being a white oppressor, they can at least mitigate the social costs that come from that, um, that, that category. That was the brilliant uh, analysis that uh, led me to invite my guest on, Lior Sapir. To connect the two of them helps people understand. If I may, Lior, for just one moment, it always helps when people hear a new idea repeated, and I'll just say it very briefly. All these white kids are told they're oppressors. They're, they're the worst kids in the school by definition. There's nothing they can do about it. In order to achieve status among their peers, they have to join some victim group. And trans is the perfect one to join. And that raises their status, their acceptability, their popularity. They are no longer merely white. They are now trans. Is that a correct statement of what you said? It is. You know, there are... So wait, so so hold on. If it is, why yeah. do you think it afflicts girls so much more than boys? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so let me first complicate the, the argument that as I laid it out a little bit, and then I'll address your question directly. Um, a lot of these girls, and probably most of them, have uh, psychological comorbidities. Um, and that could be anything from autism, which is now um, uh, known or almost known to be uh, extremely common among um, uh, teenagers with this phenomenon called rapid onset gender dysphoria, ROGD. Um, the CAS report in the United Kingdom that recently um, investigated the NHS's uh, pediatric gender service found that uh, uh, almost one third of all teenage girls referred for gender transition at the NHS clinic were diagnosed with autism, one-third. Which is also uh, remarkable since overwhelmingly boys are autistic. Right. Right, boys are, if I'm not mistaken, four times more likely than girls to be autistic. So the fact that one-third of all kids showing up for pediatric gender transition uh, are autistic should be a huge red flag. Um, a lot of these girls, probably most of them, have uh, other psychological comorbidities, anxiety, depression. Um, some of that is associated with the fact that they are highly intelligent, very kind of bookish, cerebral, and a little bit socially awkward. Um, so uh, you're dealing with a, with a demographic that already carries a number of vulnerabilities. Um, and that makes them that much more impressionable, that much more vulnerable to the messaging that they absorb from their surroundings. So that's kind of uh, as, as background. Uh, now, I'm sorry, can you repeat the, the question that you wanted me to yeah, ask? Yeah, wh why, if the issue is getting out of your oppressor status as white, why doesn't it affect boys as much as girls? Right, right. So there are a number of things that are going on here, I think. One is um, girls are, I think, more attuned to these kinds of social pressures than boys are just because they have a higher uh, social intelligence than boys. Um, they're, they're a little bit more status-oriented, I, I think, a little bit more, um, uh, uh, again, attuned to the judgment of their peers. Um, you know, it's well known, for example, that when boys bully each other, we confront one another one-on-one -on -one and beat the crap out of each other, right? That's how we bully. When girls bully each other, they gang up, um, often surreptitiously, they spread rumors. Um, and so, you know, there's a kind of psychological mechanism um, that through which girls enforce their social hierarchies, their social status. All right, hold it there for a moment, Leo. Right, we have to take a break, and I want to invite the callers if this resonates with you, if you know a, a, a kid who went trans, 
1-8-Prager-776. Back in a moment. My guest is Lior Sapir, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute, and he has written a truly important piece, which is why I'm having him on. It's an, it, it, to the best of your knowledge, is this an original theory of yours? Uh, well, you know, nothing is truly original. Right, I know, um, I know. But but <laughs> I, I never read it elsewhere, let's put it that way. Yeah, I, there, there's some insights that I would say I haven't read anywhere else. Okay. Um, I am deeply indebted, of course, to the work of, uh, path-breaking work of Abigail Schreier um, in her in her phenomenal book, um, uh, right. Irreversible Damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and she she does extensive interviews with parents. So that's always the, the first place to look is always her book. Um, so I would be remiss not to mention her. Well, I, look, I've had her on many, many times. I know her and her husband very well for many years. They're they're terrific, truly special human beings. So his thesis, in, in a nutshell, is that there is a deep interrelationship. Oh, in fact, let me use their term, an intersectionality. there you go between critical race theory and trans these kids are told how bad they are for being white they don't want to be bad they want to be on a higher status than oppressor and the only thing that they really can do since they can't change their race is they can change their sex or their gender as the left puts it and that might be a very big factor in why it is happening. To which I then asked, why does it afflict girls more? I actually find your answer persuasive, to be honest. I think girls are more preoccupied with social status than boys. When they have a problem, they beat each other up, and then they go and play baseball together. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that's that's it's a big one of the many differences between the sexes. So I am going to um, take some calls for you. Is that all right? That's fine. If I could just mention one more factor that explains why this may be affecting girls more than boys. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is that, you know, puberty seems to be starting the process of puberty seems to be harder for girls than it is for boys. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that's a big generalization, but I think it's probably true. And girls experience uh, a lot of discomfort associated with their period, with gaining weight. Um, for all the flood of hormones, not that boys don't go through hard stuff. Of course we do. But on girls, it seems to be harder. Um, and at the same time, and this is one of the things that I really learned from talking to the parents, these girls, especially when they start questioning their sex, they are flooded with pornography. And I mean flooded. Every single parent I spoke to went out of, usually her, because it's usually moms, went out of her way to emphasize how important this was that her daughter was being flooded with pornography and shown all of these images and movies of uh, women being uh, objectified. And so, you know, these teenage girls look at this and they say, I don't want that. Um, I don't want to become, if that's what being a woman is, that's not, it's not for me. I believe that too. It was, uh, when I was a kid, it was different. There was pornography, but it was Playboy. And, and there's an objectification, but n- nobody cared. Girls didn't look at that and go, well, I don't want to be like that. They said, oh, I do want to be like that. I mean, it, it, but it, it is not the same as the flood that is available on the Internet. So I, I, th- I think that is a factor. Without, uh, without even taking a, some religious position on pornography, it's, again, there are, there are certain things that are clear like the moral ambiguity uh, involved in abortion that do not necessitate a religious background, and I am religious. Right. Right. Okay, let's, so let's take uh, Los Angeles and Emily. Emily, you're on with Lior Sapir and me, Dennis Prager. Hi. Hello. Um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I just, you know, sometimes listen to you honestly just so I can get a perspective of what the other side thinks I would identify as like a liberal or leftist or whatever. By the way, I just want to say that is is truly to your credit. I salute you. Thank you. Um, Yeah, a lot of people my age don't even want to hear, you know, opposing viewpoints. Anyways, um, I think 
I don't know. I just think your stance is like flawed on multiple reasons. I think, especially in California and more liberal states, and like this, you know, what you would call critical race theory, it teaches that queerness doesn't negate whiteness. I, and I think that a lot of queer people are outspoken about this that just because you identify as queer doesn't, you know, remove you from white privilege or what uh, these other issues that they're taught that white people have. So I just don't agree with that. I well, I don't think he's saying that. It, it doesn't erase your status as a white oppressor, but it now puts you in an oppressed group. So that helps your why status. Would someone, why would a child in, you know, let's say, I don't really know, one of these states is coming out with these anti-trans laws why would a child want and actively choose and everything in their environment is telling them opposite that it's wrong why would they choose this i don't i don't think i i just think in this whole idea that this is well emily forgive me forgive me and 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 lior forgive me because that's just not true everything in their environment at school is telling them trans is wonderful Maybe everything in their environment, in their house, or with their their I don't cousins. Agree with that. There's so many schools across this country that you know are wanting to ban trans people from like almost every facet of. No, no, no. Life. Okay, all right. Well, that that's not fully accurate either. I'm going to have you, Alior, obviously respond at, at, at whatever length you want. Uh, nobody's banning trans. They're banning talking to five-year-olds about drag queens, about talking to five-year-olds about non-binary nature of the non-binary nature of gender. There's no banning at all. There's banning of premature sexualization of kids. We'll be back in a moment. The Dennis Prager Show. Hi, everybody. Dennis Prager with Lior Sapir, a fellow at the Manhattan Institute and his, I think, original and extremely significant thesis that one reason for so many girls saying they're trans, and he's given quite a number of reasons and why it's particularly girls, but one reason is status, and that's the connection to what is being taught about race. If you're white, you're crap. And that's that's the message of the left it's, to say it is sick uh, is uh, to understate the case. But that is the message that kids get in vast numbers of schools. You can't get out of being white, but you can get out of being your sex or your gender. The left says, and they grab onto that to have a social status as a victim. I have a question about something you said, and if you want to react to Emily, who challenged uh, both of us, that's fine. If not, I'll go to another call. But I'm I'm very curious. You said that just as the girls are getting uh, into uh, their their hormonal changes, which are dramatic and challenging in in the best of cases, they're flooded with pornography. Do they seek this flood? Is it sent to them? How does this exactly happen? My understanding, again, from speaking with the parents, is that it's sent to them. Um, now, that doesn't mean that they don't seek it out themselves. I, I honestly don't know. Um, but at least according to the parents who usually kind of take over their their kids' smartphones and you know kind of uh, monitor to see what's going on once once their girls have really started to deteriorate, um, yeah, a, a lot, if not most of it, is, is sent to them. And by the way, sometimes not just by peers, but by adults. Um, so this, you know, in those particular cases, that is uh, what what is nowadays called grooming. I mean, that that is grooming. I mean, if you're sending a, a mi- if you're a, an adult sending a minor pornography, um, that's grooming. How, how do they send this? I feel I hate being naive. Uh, I don't understand. How do they send it to their Facebook account? How do they send it to them? That's above my pay grade, Dennis. Oh, so you're in my category. Okay, <laughs> fine. All right. So let, let, anyway, <laughs> by, by the way, that that was a very important thing, that that might be another reason yeah. for opting out of being female. Oh, if that's the way yeah. it is, 
maybe I, I, I'll be a male. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it, it plays a big role. Um, if I can just say a couple things about Emily's point, um, and, and I again, I, I, I agree with you that, that it's, it, it's good that, that she called in, and, and I thank her for making the, the observation. Um, one thing that you pointed out, which I just want to emphasize, I'm not claiming, and the piece doesn't claim, that by uh, self-identifying as non-binary, queer, trans, whatever, these girls are totally opting out of their uh, status as white. Of course not. Um, but it's a kind of it's it's making making their way wrong, one rung up the uh, intersectional ladder, if you will. Um, but the other thing that I would point out is, you know, Emily said there's a lot of messaging now on the left that just because you're queer doesn't mean you don't enjoy white privilege. I would turn that around and ask, what is the need for that messaging? Um, doesn't the very existence of that messaging presuppose that that for a lot of people uh, with kind of politically left leaning sensibilities, Queerness is a way to opt out of being white um, or uh, opt out of the privilege that comes from being white. Um, if that wasn't the case, then all of this messaging around, you know, just because you're queer doesn't mean you don't have white privilege would be completely superfluous, totally irrelevant. Um, and yet there it is. And, and we do see it quite a lot. So that's that, that, that you know, that's the smoke. Right. You, fire. So, right. You've, you've not opted out of being white. That's not possible. But you've opted out of privilege. You're now in an unprivileged state. Or at least you have less privilege now, and therefore right. you're, you're more of a victim. Right. Um, to address the, the point about schools, I mean, um, you know, I think it's definitely true that there is uh, still harassment and bullying um, uh, towards kids who, you know, uh, don't conform in some ways, um, and that needs to be addressed regardless of your views on the trans issue. Um, that, that stuff has no room in schools ever. Um, on the, on the other hand, we do have a lot of evidence that this stuff is going on in schools, public and private. Um, it's no longer a matter of speculation. If you had asked me five years ago, I would have said, you know, I think it's going on, but I don't have a lot of evidence. Now there's a lot of it. Um, we, we see teacher training materials, some of them, uh, that are leaked. Some of them are openly um, made public. We see curriculum that, uh, that explicitly embeds a lot of the kind of the trans queer theory messaging um, from a very young age. Yep. Um, you know, we see the symbols, the flags being paraded all over schools, um, organizations like GSA, Gender Sexuality. All right, hold it there if, if you can. Lior, we're going to continue with you. I have an interesting call from a teen psychologist coming in, or a psychologist for teens. Dennis Prager here. Thanks for listening to the Daily Dennis Prager Podcast. To hear the entire three hours of my radio show, commercial-free every single day, become a member of Pragertopia. You'll also get access to 15 years' worth of archives, as well as the daily show prep. Subscribe at Pragertopia.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.